The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and uh, delighted to be back with you again for yet another week. And uh, if you listen to this show live, I apologize for the late start. We had a few little technical problems, but we're now up and running. And uh, we'll, we'll make up time with just one um, very short commercial break in the middle. So... I'd like to um, talk today with you about meeting magic um, with my guest, Catherine Woods, and leveraging the power of meetings. Um, Firstly, just a quick thank you to my guest last week, uh, Colleen Francis, who talked to me about non-stop sales boom. And I took away from the meeting uh, the concept of the sales radar, which um, uh, was about attracting new clients, about participation, which is about bringing new clients on board quickly, about growth within our business with existing clients, And also, we should be continuously leveraging through our existing networks uh, and clients, testimonials, referrals, etc., to keep those sales just flowing through. Um, So I'm going to go straight into the sort of content um, today around this uh, this subject, and and I'm going to ask you, are your meetings truly effective? And do you make every meeting count? Because today we're going to explore how to leverage the power of your meetings and to create meeting magic. And my guest, Catherine Woods, was an engineering graduate and corporate executive who quickly grew to dread the phrase, how's the diary looking? And Catherine co-founded Meeting Magic in 1999. She was driven by a radical idea that meetings should be a generator of energy, momentum, and, and business progress rather than a voracious absorber of them. She's been supremely successful in that mission, and her training and communications background, her magical graphical skills, her business leadership skills have kept Catherine and her team highly in demand at meeting tables and boardrooms of some of the world's most successful companies and brands. At Meeting Magic and their sister company, Scribing Magic, Catherine heads a team that offers some of the most insightful graphic facilitators and visualizers in the business. And also, due to a life-changing tragedy, Catherine became an ambassador for Child Bereavement UK. So, a big welcome to Catherine Woods. Hi, Chris. Hi there. Good to speak to you, Catherine. And um, I hope uh, uh, I hope you're uh, feeling well. And uh, I say apologise a little bit for our technology um, struggles this afternoon. But I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. And I wonder if you could... Tell me a little bit about your background and how it led to a fascination with meetings. Um, well, I guess my family background is um, my, my family are all medics, actually. I'm a bit of a black sheep in the family. Um, and I guess what that meant, that I kind of grew up with a, definitely a people focus in the conversations at the table at home, um, and I guess then that overlaid with, this, as you mentioned, the engineering 
um, studying, you know, the academic side of my background where it's very much about systems. But to be honest, I was never a very good engineer. And my first job was as a project uh, manager for um, power stations. And actually, I kind of managed my inability to be a fantastic design engineer by getting other people together to do really good work. So I think those were my formative experiences of, you know, getting people together to work together and actually achieving something, you know, much more powerful than I could have done on my own. Um, But then again, as you mentioned, I went on, I had a corporate career and I met a guy called David Sibbett. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's the the founder of the Grove Consultants and one of the forefathers of the graphic Mm -hmm. facilitation movement. And I worked with him and it really did feel like coming home. You know, I was already hanging pieces of paper on the walls and getting people together and and doing meetings in, you know, quite a different way. And he was too. And so, um, you know, I got so passionate about that work that just decided, you know, there's got to be a niche in the market for a company like ours that actually helps people get more out of coming together and working than most business meetings, which, as you said in your introduction, aren't always the most productive environments for people. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and I wonder, you know, you, you had that corporate career. I think, we've got, I think we've got something in common in our backgrounds. I think we both worked for the same company once, didn't we? we yes, both, both I used to Mars? work for Mars, the confectionery company, and I think that's... Were you there or...? I was there, yeah. I was there for seven years, yeah. Ah. We knew each other then, but... Um, I think uh, it's interesting. It sort of bred quite a few of us entrepreneurs. And, but I wonder, from that corporate career, I mean, how did you find that transition to running your own business? And were there any key lessons that really stand out for you? Oh, gosh, yeah, hundreds of les- lessons. I mean, I think the big lesson is that I just didn't know why I didn't know. I mean, I, I founded the business with my co-founder really on a complete passion for you know, the work, the the facilitation work. But actually, with hindsight, I don't think we had a clue about how to run a business. (laughs) So, um, you know, and I I still wonder if I've got a clue now, 16 years later. But I've certainly learned a lot um, from the School of Hard Knocks and also from, you know, people around me and, you know, the help we've we've had in in setting up the business and running the business. So, So, yeah, I think there's definitely a big lesson about... Yeah, be careful about what you don't know as much as what you think you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and and so uh, so so you know, is that message about uh, is that message also about you know, being prepared to sort of seek help from people when you need it? Yeah, definitely, and and you know, help from people who complementary skills. Um, so, I mean, I don't think any business leader can have all the answers to all the dimensions required for running a business and so you, you know there's something about needing to um pull on other people who have got that mm. i just i remember when we first spoke you, you told me a bit of a story about yourself uh, you know a true story about yourself and it led to you know uh, you know looking you know seeking help from um child bereavement uk um, are you able to share a little bit about that? So, you know, when we're as entrepreneurs, we we really do sometimes have bumps in the road, and yeah. it's it's not it's not just help that we need with our businesses. Sometimes it's sometimes help with you know broader uh, lives, really. Um, yes, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, the Child Bereavement UK 
have a, I think, a very simple and compelling purpose. They help parents who lose children and children who lose parents. And it was about, must be just over three years ago now, um, that the police came to my front door. Um, it was just a normal working day and told me that my my husband, the children of my lovely, ch- the father of my lovely children, had um, committed suicide, and um, obviously it was a terrible shock. And after the police left, I contacted the school. But I remember sitting down at about eleven o'clock that day and thinking, I've got four and a half hours to figure out how to tell my children that their dad has killed himself. And um, in fact, I googled, "How do you tell a child?" their father's committed suicide and top of the rankings was child bereavement uk and i contacted them and they were amazing i mean their care and their expertise guided me through probably one of the most difficult conversations i've had in my life and they've been there ever since you know supporting me and the children and you know the good news is the the children are flourishing um but i think particularly knowing a bit more about what goes on behind the scenes at the child bereavement uk i know how small they are and how amazing the work is that they do with what little they have. So I'm very keen to help them in any way I can to sort of support the work they do. Uh, the first time I ever actually saw you was um, was it was an event. It was for people who'd left Mars, a past masters event. And, you know, you, you, you stood up. There was quite a lot of people there, and you stood up and you, you gave you know, a two-minute so two or three minutes sort of explanation of your story and uh, and how this amazing organization had really really helped you um and i remember being very very sort of moved by that and uh, you know, impressed that you you're able to talk about it and want to get that message out to help as many people as possible so you have oh, my full respect um so let's um so sort of move from from that and let's get into meetings and um i don't know how would you define a meeting um, well, I guess people meet all the time, don't they? I mean, really, for me, it's when there's two or more people that come together and they want to do, you know, some work together in the in the business environment. So, so, so uh, and, and is there is there a limit on the number of people? I mean, is it can there be a is, is a meeting is is a meeting a conference? Is that still a meeting? Or do you have a well, I mean, I think so. I think there are lot, lots of paradigms once groups get large. You know, you know, as soon as the group gets more than, say, 50 people, I think there's much more of a propensity to go into set patterns and ways of working that usually involve just presenting lots of information at people. But actually, they are meetings. And, you know, the way we do conferences is much more in a facilitated conversational way. And, I mean... You know, the amount of work you can get done when you've got a large group of people together is incredible. And the energy you can create through doing that, if you use the right approaches, is phenomenal. Um, So, yeah, I get rather frustrated, actually, about the emphasis on all the sort of razzmatazz and production that goes into conferences when there isn't, you know, as much emphasis put on the quality of conversations and the potential to really do great work together. Mm. I've seen that there's, there's a lot of research that suggests company meetings, and you're talking a bit about your frustration, uh, that are, are often unsuccessful. And I wonder, in your opinion, why is that? Well, I guess the sort of the top level answer is lack of preparation. You know, people, and, and it's a bit of a vicious cycle. People are so busy that they don't prepare for meetings. 
um, and then they go into meetings ill-prepared, so the meeting doesn't achieve as much as it could, so there's more meetings, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, yeah. I mean, I guess at that very broad level, it is lack of preparation, but I think if we dig a bit deeper, I think there is also something about, okay, so if you did make the time to prepare, what, what do most people do in preparation for the meeting? And I think, you know, most of the prep that does go on in meetings tends to be either the logistical side of things, you know, particularly with big conferences and, and kind of global get-togethers. There's a lot of emphasis on the venue and the travel and, you know, what they're going to have for dinner in the evening and that kind of thing. Mm. And then I guess the other thing that gets quite a lot of attention is the, is the content, you know, the, the, the deck, the information that's being brought into the meeting. Um, but the piece that I, you know, I consistently see missing from the equation is the, this attention to how are the group going to have the conversation? You know, if everybody does bring their requests for budget for 2016 into the meeting, how is that information going to get synthesized and how are decisions going to get made in the group? And, um, and when that preparation is done well, it's amazing what you can achieve in meetings, in, you know, even relatively short meetings. But, um, but, Unfortunately, a lot of people don't have the time or or even the skills to do that kind of work. Mm. So is that, is that so? Is that one of the things then that constitutes to a great meeting? Just being really clear on the purpose of it. Yes, I mean, I always sort of say if it has to boil down to one thing for a meeting, you know, it is about being really clear about the overall purpose and the specific outcomes. You know, the purpose being sort of the top level impact that you're looking to achieve from the meeting and the outcomes being more like the specific deliverables that um, are needed from the meeting. And, and do you think sometimes, sometimes meetings, and maybe you know, a regular meeting, so it might be a team meeting or it's a regular operations meeting, so is it worthwhile in those situations because there could be an assumption that everybody knows why they're there, but is, is, would you recommend that people actually in each of those meetings restate the purpose each time? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it always gives the clarity and a focus to, you know, what goes on in a meeting if there is that. You know, a lot of preparation in meetings ends up focusing around agendas, but unless you're clear about to, to serve what or to what end, then, you know, that's, that's not that helpful. And often you have meeting outcomes like the purpose is to to share some information but the question that raises for me is well again to what do you want people to do as a result of knowing that information um because once you get clear about that you can be really much crisper about specifically what information people need mm. Mm. but you're right yeah. about the statistics we there was a conversation going on in our team this week about the amount of research that's now available about meetings, you know, in 16 years ago when we set up the business, you know, there was very little attention paid to it. And it's still very much a hidden cost in most, you know, in most organizations. But um, I think, uh, you know, there are some staggering statistics about, you know, managers are spending 50 to 75% of their time in meetings and sort of 42% of them being a complete waste of time. And if, if, if that was actually added up, into a cumulative investment, you know, that an organization made each year, it, you know, it would probably blow the marketing budget out of the water. 
Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, people, it, they're not regarded like that. You know, meetings are sort of hidden. The cost of meetings are hidden. I'm just going to sort of got me, me sort of thinking now, really, about you know, sometimes people do get people together for meetings just to help make them feel better. To keep the morale high, <laughs> is, is, that, is that an important you know, result from a meeting or, is, or should it be more tangible? I think, I think you know, having people come out of a meeting feeling motivated and inspired is a really important outcome. But I guess it's then, therefore, what do you do to achieve that? Um, so, you know, this, I think this is where the sort of razzmatazz comes in. <laughs> you know, people spend a lot of money on razzmatazz trying to motivate people in meetings. And yet my experience is, you know, one of the things that human beings find most motivating is talking to their colleagues and, and working with them and achieving something with them. And actually, you know, not only does that mean you're not needing to spend lots of money on razzmatazz, but also you can get some really tangible results out of, out of that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've just got a couple of minutes and we're going to have a, a commercial break, um, two or three minutes. So, so you might want to continue after the break. We'll see how we go with this. But uh, I mean, are there some big questions that companies should be asking themselves in order to you know, make their businesses more successful through their meetings? I guess the bi- well, the big, big thing is just people being more aware of meetings and how important they are. You know, there's a lot of emphasis I'm seeing at the moment on, you know, leadership. Everyone's talking about leadership and everyone seems to be talking about culture. And yeah. yet, actually, if you think about it, where leadership and culture play out is in meetings. You know, when people talk about the way they're treated and how decisions get made and how leaders behave and all those kind of cultural and leadery things in organizations, they're generally talking about experiences in meetings. You know, because those are the main forums in which people come together and work in organizations. So, you know, at the, mo- at the moment, what I'm not seeing is many companies that have meetings on their radar in terms of paying attention to them. And if they are, they're often paying attention to the wrong things, like how many people are in them and how long they last, rather than, you know, what's the route of really getting the most out of meetings because, you know, if your meetings are running well and you're getting a lot out of your meetings, then the collective power that you're getting out of the people in your organisation is huge. Because hmm. that's, that's, the, that's the vehicle, isn't it, to, to keep giving people uh, permission to keep moving forward? Yeah. Uh, so I imagine, if, I imagine it's kind of the engine room, really, isn't it? It is. And it's people's sort of day-to-day experience of leadership and culture is in meetings and if you sort them out you don't need to overlay big pieces of work on culture change and leadership if you just sort your meetings out (laughs) then actually you know you can achieve a huge amount without adding work into the system in fact actually the end result should be there's less work in the system you just really made me sort of you know see there the, the the vital importance you know within the within sort of the strategy of a business that actually, you know, those meetings are, they're real snapshots, aren't they, into the culture? I imagine you've got some great stories of things you've seen while you've been in meetings. Um, 
Um, but you're right, if you can change the behaviours in them, then that will uh, spread out across the organisation, presumably. Exactly, yeah. You know, they are great vehicles for creating, you know, change in an organisation at a very fundamental level, um, again, in an environment that already exists in the organisation, rather than needing to do, you know, big overlayering layers of change. Yeah. We're going to get to commercial break now, but after the break, what I'm going to ask Catherine to, to do is really kind of outline a, you know, practical steps for meetings, some of the things that we've really got to think about and consider when we want to create magic meetings. So we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to be more achieve more with host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to info at be that's info at be now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper and i always love to hear um, any feedback or comments from you on how we can, um, on what you think of the show, or how we can develop and improve it, or the type of guests that you want to hear on the show. Um, also, if you want to find out about who's coming up and any, any takes that I have um, uh, on um, some of the interviews that we've done, then I produce a, a monthly newsletter. Um, I only send out once a month, and uh, it's, it's, it's sort of packed with information and uh, uh, links to people like Catherine, etc. So uh, I would go and check that out, and you can subscribe to that at chriscooper.co.uk. Um, so we were talking about um, uh, the meet- meetings and some of the sort of big questions companies should be asking. And I wonder, Catherine, uh, what should the role of meetings be when it comes to decision-making? Well, I guess decisions are one of the things that you can get out of meetings you know if you see time and money spent on meetings as the investment 
then you know there are a number of things you can get as a return on that investment and decisions are are one of them um but I guess there's something about um, how do decisions get made in meetings. And often when I'm preparing for a meeting and I, I'm working, for example, with a new group and I'll ask them, so, you know, how do decisions get made in this group? There's often quite a lack of awareness of how they actually do make decisions. And I think, you know, that potentially can lead to not very robust being decision, decisions being made or just you know, the most senior person decides or the person with the biggest voice gets their way rather than necessarily the most robust decision. Is, is this, when with your company, is that, you know, do you do, you do, do things like, do you sit in on meetings and then maybe make suggestions like, you know, how to improve your decision-making in the meeting? Is that the sort of thing that you do? Yeah, well, I mean, when we're, when we're designing meetings, so most of the work we do are where we're working with a client to prepare and then facilitate a meeting. And a key part of that is the preparation we do. And, um, and as part of the prep, we will, you know, recognize where are the decision points in a meeting because they're kind of the pinch points when groups come together and making sure that we actually design processes that lead people into those decisions so that they are more robust and you know, and being really clear about what kind of decision-making is needed. You know, if, if people are talking about a piece of legislation and actually it's not going to change, then really all the discussion in the world is not that relevant because it's not going to change. So what yeah. you want in those kind, you don't actually really want decisions out of those sessions. You really want people to understand the implications and what it means to them. So you need a very different type of group process for something like a piece of new legislation compared to maybe a group setting their goals for the next year where actually you may well want to kind of co-create that together with, you know, marketing, finance, R&D, you know, the different functions contributing their perspectives into, what, you know, what kind of goals are going to be the most relevant. Um, so, again, you would have a very different type of process in the group for that kind of decision-making. You, you talk about when you you kind of organise and facilitate meetings. I mean, do you have a do you have a kind of practical process that you adopt to help a meeting to run well? Yeah, I mean, we every every meeting is different and every group is different. So the actual design of every meeting we do is tailored to achieve the outcomes. But the way in which we go about developing that design is fairly consistent for for most types of meetings in most organisations. And also for most size of meetings, actually, as well. So, so I mean, the first thing for us, it comes back to what you said at the start, which is about getting really clear on the purpose. So we'll do that with the clients, you know, get, get really clear about the purpose of the meeting, which is what's the business impact required, and then also the specific outcomes needed by the end of the, you know, the, the, the meeting itself. Um, but then another thing we do, which I think, again, often doesn't get done before meeting, is we'll, we will speak to everybody coming to the meeting to find out what their expectations are and if they've got any concerns. And we kind of accumulate all that data to put together what we call like the target for the meeting. So, you know, hearing what everybody says, you know, what does the scope of the meeting need to be and therefore the specific outcomes. And then yeah. once we've got that target defined, um, we can then start to define the 
that work on the agenda, which is often in some, in some businesses, that's where people start. But we start with the target. And then we do what we call a top-level flow. So those are kind of the big chunks of the agenda and, and think about how to order those. And then we go into each of those in a lot more detail and figure out exactly how we're going to run the session, you know, whether we're going to work as one group or split the group up, you know, what visuals we're going to need and what resources we're going to need to do the work, how we're going to capture the information, how the outputs of this session are going to be used and therefore what format they need to be in. You know, all that detail gets done at the sort of the last bit of the design phase before we then prepare the materials to use in the meeting, facilitate the meeting, and then the final part of it is to document the meeting, you know, so that people get a timely and accurate record of what's gone on in the meeting. And, and one thing um, you, I didn't, I may have missed it, but um, in that process was the, was the environment. Do you help them choose the environment? Or is that not important? I mean, I think environment's incredibly important. Um, I mean, we often don't get a choice over the environment because that's something that the client themselves, you know, books and organisers. And so we kind of, we've learned to work with what we're given. Um, and, you know, we've worked in some amazing environments, but also some pretty dreadful environments. But what we try to do is make it as, as productive as it can. There was a great example a few weeks ago. I was doing a piece of work in, in a lovely um, French um, hotel in the Champagne region, and I went down to the meeting room, and it was literally sort of down in a basement and didn't have a great deal of natural light and also was sort of set up theatre style with chairs in rows. And me and my colleague literally kind of, redesigned the room you know took all the furniture out and reorganized it and even created a wall to work on visually out of the tables sort of upended um, by the side of the room so I think what we've learned is you know there are some things that make for a good meeting environment and if you don't have them you can always improvise <laughs> and yeah. make the best of what you've got Quite interesting, those hotel rooms without any windows. Um, I found myself oh, speaking yeah. in one last year. It was a, I was speaking at a big conference, and on the Sunday they split out into two, two syndicates where people could choose which speaker they wanted to go to. And I was, I was uh, doing one of those sessions, and I went from this most amazing, wonderful um, conference room to a room where people were packed in. It was extremely hot. Uh, it was dark, so they took film of it, but the film was no good because it was so dark. <laughs> oh. It, it was a yeah, shame. I think that comes under the heading of environments you don't want to be in unless you have to. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really cut a hole in the uh, for a window, will you? No. Not what you can do with that. <laughs> I wonder, you know, sometimes in meetings uh, that I've, I've been in, there are kind of, you know, for delegates, it's kind of maybe an, an elephant in the room or something that people are avoiding talking about. And, you know, I wonder what your view is on whether you should broached those. I remember myself uh, broaching them once and, uh, uh, and uh, it wasn't seen that positively. Um, but do you think there is sometimes like an undercurrent of some, some things that are unsaid or maybe need to be defined? Mm. I mean, do you experience that? Yeah, I mean, I think unresolved conflicts tend to be the most life-sapping elements of meetings. You know, it's the, the things that don't get talked about in meetings that seem to cause the most disruption 
you know, and, and they lead to all kinds of things like people just not speaking out or, you know, decisions being made that nobody really commits to and then everybody just walks out and doesn't do what they said they would do. So the, I, I think the consequences of not handling conflict is is huge, really. Um, but I guess it just comes down to how do you handle it in a way that's that's positive. And, and, and when I say positive, I don't mean kind of glossing over it and pretending it's all fine, but in a way that's constructive um, and actually and deals with it. Um, because actually, you know, I mean, we quite often get brought in where there are significant conflicts in groups um, because that's when people, you know, start to realize that they can't necessarily do the meeting themselves. And, um, and actually, you know, my, my view is almost all the fears people have about tackling conflict in meetings tend to be far worse than the reality. You know, once it is actually out there and discussed and dealt with, mm. there's a huge relief and a huge energy that occurs in a group when, when the work's been progressed. And, um, and it is just about, I think, about being courageous in, in handling it. You know, as, as human beings... I think there's a certain amount of hardwiring in us that wants to avoid conflict. You know, that sort of keep your head down, look at your shoelaces, don't make eye contact <laughs> type behaviour, which is absolutely human and natural. But, I mean, certainly in Meeting Magic, we, we train ourselves to sort of almost override some of those human instincts and be willing to, to face into it in, in a way that is, um, helps people be more resourceful and actually deal with it rather than in a, just a kind of headlong way. Hmm. Um, and, and, yeah. And, and, do you, and do you recommend, I mean, we're talking there about, you mentioned conflict, and do you, do you see conflict as being a, you know, a positive part of uh, a meeting? If the, you know, people are getting emotional, is that helpful? I'm reading, I remember studying a book by Patrick Lencioni, which was about meetings, and you know, he saw he saw actually conflict as being positive, providing it's focused on the issue. And wonder what your view is. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things in what you've just said. I mean, I think conflict is um, a kind of natural thing that occurs. You know, the ability of a group of people to hold different opinions is actually healthy. You know, if you want a group to genuinely collaborate together, they need to be able to hear and. And, and manage and discuss differences of opinion, which often means there will be conflicts between those opinions. Um, so I think it's an important skill, particularly in leadership teams. You know, leadership teams get put together by because they have different perspectives, you know, either because they represent different geographies or different functions or different parts of the business. So it's an inevitability in those groups that there will be different views and I think it's really important that those teams, you know, can create meetings where there's a space that those different group views are held and managed and leveraged to create solutions. But the other thing I heard you talking about there was emotion. And I think, I think there is, you know, in the business world, there is very much a bias towards working in the very logical, cognitive, rational space. Um, which for those of us that have had, you know, business backgrounds, all feels quite safe. And yeah. there's possibly a sort of fear um, or certainly a reluctance to go into space where there's more intuition, more emotion, more of the creativity. 
But um, in fact, there's a great quote um, that I heard the other day from somebody that apparently came from Einstein, although apparently there's a bit of a debate, which says, you know, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. And we've created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. Mm. And, you know, I, I think the human intuition is amazing. And, and we have amazing capacity. And actually, you know, where you get real magic in meetings is where you can harness that blend of the rational, cognitive, logical parts of us with the intuition and the creative parts of us. And, you know, people, and, and to do that, you need to create a space where people can kind of bring their whole selves into the work, um, which is, you know, in my, in my view, that's the magic of meetings when people yeah. work in that way. I know one thing that you you do, which is looks very interesting from having a look at your uh, website, uh, was this um, uh, this scribing magic. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? Because that sounds to me like it could bring a little bit of an ex- extra magic into a meeting space. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, so the roots of meeting magic are in something called graphic facilitation, which is just sort of a jargon for working on big pieces of of paper on the wall, which you know, it has a number of benefits for groups. It, you know, it helps people see what's going on. It helps people put, put all their contributions in one place. You know, it provides a great record of the meeting and it has a lot, you know, a number of those benefits. And over the years, there's been an increasing amount of interest, particularly, I'd say, in the last sort of five years with the uh, people like Dan Rohn. He wrote a book called Back of the Napkin and David Sibbett's books have become really widely you know, accepted in the business world. So this sort of visual way of working seems to have kind of really got legs now. And so about just over a year ago now, we set up Scribing Magic, which specializes in the, you know, the mainly in the artistic graphic side of what we do. Um, So the the visualizers that work there are not group facilitators, but they have amazing illustrative skills and can really create pictures with purpose. And as you say, they do add a lot of magic to meetings because a lot of the content that gets brought into meetings is quite dry. And actually, you know, by using a combination of pictures and words, you can convey a lot more and spark a lot more creativity in groups by working in that way. That sounds sounds very very appealing and, and interesting and also... I guess it plays on that in, you know, intuitive piece. And I think some, some people, I, I'm, I'm quite visual and I like to, to see things and images and pictures. Uh, that's you know, probably quite an, a nice way to, to capture information and share it afterwards rather than the usual uh, long minutes, <laughs> which are a bit yeah. cool. I mean, there's a number of places where that type of, you know, the visual work can really play in. So I've just described, you know, how it can be used before a meeting to prepare information but graphic recording is where, you know, we capture information live in a meeting and then use that as a visual record afterwards. You know, there's also storyboarding that we can do, you know, creating um, storyboards of messaging and communication. And then also, you know, those little hand-drawn animations that I think the first ones went on YouTube, must have been about seven years ago. The RSA did them, the sort of disembodied hand drawing and animation and it went viral, and ever since then, there's been a big interest in these little short hand-drawn animations, 
which is another mm. aspect of what we do. But again, in service of communicating something or in you know conveying something in a different way. Yeah. So I wonder. I'm just also wondering too. We talked about sort of meetings being in a place, and uh, we've only got a few minutes left. But I just wanted to know what your thoughts on virtual meetings, because there's a lot more virtual meetings going on these days. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, don't get me started on virtual meetings. <laughs> They're even worse than face-to-face <laughs> meetings. I mean, all the bad practices that go on in face-to-face meetings are even worse in virtual because you haven't got as many sensors and, and resources to work with. So, um, so yes, I mean, the nature of the, the world we work in, you know, global complex businesses is that, we have to work virtually, but I do think there's a lot of appalling practices in, in virtual meetings, and they, I mean, it's a shame, really, because the technology is getting better and better and is more and more capable, but again, it's this attention to group process, so most virtual meetings tend to be used very much for just giving information, and there's a sort of overuse of just open forum, has anyone got any questions, which either leads to those sort of tumbleweed moments where it's just silent or everybody fighting to get their question in, neither of which are great. Um, And then there's also just, um, yeah, just not really being clear about, you know, how you want to collaborate with people in a virtual space, which is back to that decision-making thing I mentioned earlier. Um, And so actually there's often very little genuine collaboration going on in those virtual meetings. But it can be done, you know, with the right design, um, virtual meetings can be, you know, really powerful forums for people to do work. Um, but yeah, I could probably do a whole interview just on, on the, the pros and cons of virtual meetings as well. <laughs> well, well, just before we, um, we, we kind of leave, because we're getting, we've only got probably about four minutes or so um, before we need to finish the interview, but I wonder whether you have any final messages that you'd like to leave us with. Um, Yeah, I I guess that that I might sound fairly simple, but I guess my key message is that, you know, meetings are important. You know, people coming together to do work together are really valuable forums and can leave people feeling committed and motivated and achieve great work. Um, and then if you then take the cumulative potential of meetings in an organization, that's absolutely huge. So, so I think, you know, if nothing else, I'd really like a listener of this program to just think twice before they, you know, hold another meeting or about how they think about meetings and their role in meetings in the future. Um, and then I guess the other one, the other key message is just, you know, about being willing to try something different. There's a lot of established norms about how people do meetings, and actually most organizations have their own kind of cultures around how they meet, how people meet in their organizations. And some of those can be really helpful, but often there are patterns of behavior that are really not serving the work or the organization or even the people very well. So um, I think... You know, just being willing to try different things and think about how you meet with people differently is another key thing that I would encourage people to do. And, of course, if people run out of inspiration themselves, they can always call us because we've got lots of ideas of how to add magic into meetings. So 
We're meet, meeting uh, fanaticists. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think I, from, for me, you know, I, I took out, um, you know, what, what, I think what the, the conversation really helped me do, Catherine, and, and anybody who's listening, is just, just fully appreciate actually how important a meeting is you know, to the in terms of being you know part of the engine house of a business, and yeah. you know, and how effective yeah. all those meetings are is going to have a big impact on your results. And you know, Absolutely. also just listening to that, you know, that incredible story, you know, you you shared that, you know, which must have been hard to share, and I felt almost guilty asking you about it. But I know you stand up and talk about it, but um, you know, you about the need for when the when the situations necessitate it to find help and find people who can help you see things and support you and from a different perspective. And I know you do some great work out there in the marketplace with Meetings Magic. So um, if anybody out there needs help um, and wants to really radically transform their meetings, then um, I'm sure they can give you a call, Catherine. That would be lovely. Thank you. And thanks for your kind words. You're welcome. It's been a, been a pleasure talking talking with you today. And if you want to um, uh, to create Meetings Magic, you can go to um, www.meetingmagic.co.uk. And also, we, we mentioned Child Bereavement UK. And if, if anybody there would kindly like to make a donation to that charity, if this is something that uh, really resonates with you, then you can go to www.childbereavementuk.org. And I'm sure they would really appreciate you to click on donate and um, make a contribution. Um, so a big thank you once again to Catherine Woods and on next week's show um, I'm really delighted to welcome another um, exceptional individual Liam Black uh, Liam is um, so experienced in the world of social entrepreneurship and uh, um, and has done some incredible things including um, if anybody knows a chef Jamie Oliver running his social entrepreneurial um, uh, business which he'll talk more about next week so we're going to find out all about social entrepreneurship next week so do uh, listen in and once again to Catherine, thank you, and to you all, and have a great week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London, on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week.